Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. The last time I remember being happy, I was a little boy in the woods with my father. He taught me how to build a fire and how to chop wood. And I remember the laughter and being free from the world around me and being loved. Growing up, I wanted to be an actor, a preacher, and I ended up preaching, but I suppose in the end, I became both. Because at 26 years old, I met a monster. A thousand images, a million uncovered bodies, this irresistible escape to an underground pornographic playground of the mind. Always calling, always promising. Like the carny at the fair who knew you'd never win the prize. This monster of sexual seduction would not let me go. Or perhaps I just kept inviting him back. A preacher who is now an actor. The hiding, the failing, the memories of happiness passed. And then it came without warning. The monster took off his mask on a stage for all the world to see. And the monster was me. 25 years of fantasy and the forbidden had now buried me like a cruel grave digger. Once I was the guy that told the masses Jesus could make beauty from ashes, but now the ashes were mine and recovering any kind of beauty out of their smoldering smoke was inconceivable. And yet, suddenly, the flickering flames of hope called me and caught me all at the same time. It was the voice of my Savior. It was resurrection. And you know, the thing about resurrection is, it's always too late. It is born out of the cold ground where dead leaves lie and the ashes. But all that mattered is for the first time since I could remember, I was undead. And once awake, it was time to dig out of this damn dirt and get to work on what I was born for. Pick up the ax and start chopping wood. Will you rise from the ashes? Will you do it for the beauty? Because beauty isn't a branch with a leaf holding on or a sunset at the end of a hard day. It's all the laughter in between and being free from the world around us and being alive, fiercely alive. I have a friend and at times he speaks as if God himself were talking. His words transpierced my soul. Blaine, he said, your calling is in your conquering. And there it was. My resurrection was riddled with reason. I was called to help others find their conquering, to become their father's son again. So this is one brother calling to another. Join the uprising. Pick up the axe. Chop the wood. Build a sacred fire. Practice resurrection.
Good to see you tonight. How many are glad you came tonight? Good to have you. Man, it is so good to be back. Uh, I have not been to this community and to this beautiful church in, I don't know, probably 16, 17 years. We've tracked with you. We've heard all the good news and kind of hear what's going on. But wow, how things have changed. What a beautiful facility. I love the the staff team and all the people that are so involved. I met volunteers out in the lobby before the service and talked to some of you as I came in. And I just love what God is up to here at Believers. It is amazing. I hope you know what a miracle this is in Warren, Ohio right now. I hope you understand how amazing this is. This would be like... I mean, this would be like the Vatican in, in Rome, right? I mean, it would just, it's that big a deal. Like, God is, is doing some amazing things. So, thank you for coming tonight. I, I, it is an honor to uh, be able to share some of my story with you tonight. And I've come here for one reason and one reason alone. I have such a heart for those that are broken in our world. Whether you've been broken by the thing that I was broken with in pornography and sexual addiction, whether you've been broken by uh, unforgiveness or anger or bitterness or alcohol or drugs or resentment or just life itself, God cares about you. He loves you. He is calling you home. He is that Father just waiting to embrace you. And don't you love that story that when we come home to Father, He doesn't sit us down and tell us all the things that we should have done right. He just throws a party and says, welcome home. And I just want you to know tonight that Jesus loves you so much. And I'm going to share a little bit of His love in my life and my story tonight. You know, as you watch that video, uh, the last seven years have, and I would go back even maybe the, the, about the last, uh, the first five years after my crisis were probably the hardest in my entire life. Uh, up until uh, that moment in my life, and it was uh, Easter of 2010, the week before Easter Sunday, that uh, I disclosed everything that was going on in my crazy world to my best friends, my trustees at my church, and my family, my boys, my mom and my dad. And up until that point, life seemed publicly to be just the most amazing life in the world for me. I uh, had a television show that was national for uh, 10 years. I had a what a lot of people call the largest student ministry in America. We had 2,500 young people every, every Wednesday night uh, in Tulsa, two different services, uh, we had planted a church in Dallas, Texas. It had grown from three families to 1,000 people in three years. We just completed a $5 million building. We just moved into that building. And, everyone, and, I, and I'd written 14 different books, and the books had taken off. But no one knew what was going on in my private world. I was living in a world of absolute darkness and absolute pain, and I felt like I couldn't uh, tell anybody. I think I felt that way because, A, I was ashamed of it. I, I hated what I was doing. I wanted to be free of it, but I didn't know how. I didn't want to tell anyone because I was so ashamed of my behavior and where it had taken me. I was living in the church world, and I felt like in the church world, it wasn't really a safe place to tell anyone because, man, if you told somebody what you were doing and if it was something like this, it could mean the end. And I found that is not true today that there are gracious men and women in the church and wonderful church communities that care for the broken, 
care for the lost. But at that time, I just didn't know if I believed that. And then finally, I just grew up like some of you where I, I win. I'm going to win. I mean, I was a gold medalist uh, in freestyle skiing in Canada growing up. I was a provincial judo champion when I was a kid. Uh, I went into ministry and things started blowing up and succeeding, and I just never seemed to have lost any battles. And as I lost this battle to pornography and to sexual brokenness in my life, I just thought, well, I'll just keep getting up and keep trying to win. And the more I kept trying to win by myself, the less I began to have any kind of control over my life. And I kind of thought maybe for a little while, maybe had kind of the idea that maybe some of you had that pornography is kind of harmless, like it really doesn't hurt anyone. No one really knows about it. It's, you know, you're really not interacting with a real person, so it's just an image or it's just a video and it's really not that harmless. But I can tell you it will destroy your life if you allow it to. I uh, practiced today as we were talking, it's a video talking about chopping wood. It's the name of our, our ministry today, and we are teaching men to do the hard work of recovery. We're teaching men to do the hard work and the difficult work of, of accessing resurrection in their life and to know what it means to, to be whole and to be healthy and to be strong again and to rewire their thinking in their mind where they don't need that imagery uh, to enjoy life uh, today. today. And, and listen, you talk to these men and you try to tell them that pornography is harmless, they're not going to hear it. The guy that I uh, coached and counseled a year ago that out of curiosity went to a website, shouldn't have gone to that website, police were monitoring his computer, showed up at his door, walked in, seized his computer, busted him, went to jail for watching pornography that had minors, spent a couple years in jail, and today is a sex offender, and cannot go anywhere without registering certain parts of his city he cannot live in today, certain people he can never be around again. Tell that to the guy that I coached in a city here in America a month ago. He had a six-figure job, a high six-figure job, had been with his company for 20 years, beautiful wife, three wonderful children, lost his job because he looked at porn on his computer at work and lost everything. I just met with a gentleman the other day who's wife is leaving him, whose children absolutely despise him. He's lost his career. He's lost his ministry. He's lost everything because he did what I did. He would not take control of this area of his life. And so I want to talk to you about why this is important and how we overcome brokenness and addiction in our lives. And I want to kind of help you to understand how prevalent uh, this is. You know, in the 1970s, I don't remember how many of you were around in the 1970s, but Pastor and I, we were around in the 70s. We, we know the 70s. But in the 70s, 
if you were uh, interested in accessing any kind of pornography, you basically had to go to an adult movie theater. And there were about 1,000 of them in America. And then we had the 80s. And the 80s brought the advent of videotapes and a VCR. And all of a sudden, the opportunity for people to access the world of the forbidden in fantasy and pornography went from a thousand adult theaters to 80 million theaters in the form of a VCR and a VHS tape. And all of a sudden there was this increased access and this incredible uh, outpouring of this imagery across our country. But it didn't stop there because as we moved into the 90s, then came along this brand new thing called internet. And now, with the advent of internet and the smartphone, just about every person that is 13 years of age or older has an adult theater with millions of possibilities and images in their back pocket in the form of a phone. It is unbelievable how it has invaded our world and we don't even realize it. And it's destroying so many marriages and so many men. But I've got some good news for you. I believe we can take down this giant. In fact, I have dedicated the rest of my life to tracking down this giant. And the cool thing about tracking down a giant when you're a believer is God has a little bit of history with giants. And there's just nothing that kind of scares God. In fact, if you're, uh, you're going to kind of identify with the story of David and Goliath, I would encourage you to be the little guy. I would encourage you to be the one that is up against unbelievable odds because I believe you've got a whole better chance of win- winning. If you're going to buy into that story, it would be good for you not to own Microsoft. It would be good for you not to uh, be a player with the New England Patriots. Or to uh, be on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because they are giants, right? They don't lose. They win all the time. God kind of is looking for some little guys to rise up and be a David and challenge some of the things in this world that must be challenged And the fact that we're not big enough to win the battle or we're not influential enough or we don't have enough money to do it or we don't have the the power to do it, God loves that because he jumps in the middle of our world and our life and he gives us a slingshot and five smooth stones that will enable us to take down a giant. And we're seeing this giant come down in the church in America. And I believe as we begin to live out healthy relationships and healthy marriages and healthy lives and be the kind of man that go to work and chop wood and live a life that's worth living and not live in fear and shame and depression, that all of a sudden the witness that we bring to this world of the gospel becomes that much more powerful and that much more meaningful. You know, when I was 26, I made the worst decision in my life. And As I tell this story, most of you will not pick up on the bad part of my decision this evening. I was in a hotel room. It was actually in Pennsylvania. I was speaking at a church, and I'd been on a speaking tour for about, uh, uh, I would say, 10 days. 
I was exhausted. I was doing a lot of different things in my life at that point, uh, television, traveling, speaking, writing, all kinds of stuff, and I was just worn out, and I found myself lonely, exhausted, late in a hotel room, and as I was sitting there flipping through the channels from sports to news to whatever, I remember looking at the box on the top of the TV, knowing what that box was and seeing the red button and knowing that there was access to all this adult imagery if I pressed that button. And I remember walking over to the box and and then walking back and then kind of walking over again and, and then just, you know, walking back. But the third time, I gave in. And I went and hit that red button, and all of a sudden, these illicit images began to come onto the screen. I began to watch them and look at them, and after about 10 minutes, feeling all this shame and all this condemnation and knowing I was going to hell for sure, I flipped it off, turned off the TV. And you would have think that hitting that button was the worst decision I made, but it wasn't. The worst decision I made that night was walking out of that hotel room a few minutes later, down to the front desk, finding the person at the desk, and making sure that the bill for that movie was paid right away. Because I didn't want my hosts to find out what I'd been watching. I didn't want to share the information. I didn't want to be confronted with this crazy sin that I just committed And I made the decision, I'm going to win this on my own. And you know what I did? I won it. I prayed, and I was was deathly uh, fearful of ever doing it again. I I knew that I'd uh, displeased God. I knew that, that he was upset with me. I knew that it was wrong. And I prayed through the night. I slept a few hours, got up in the morning, prayed some more, opened my Bible, read. I fasted that morning and didn't eat. And I, as, as I went to church that next morning and worshiped, I worshiped God. And I just cried out for forgiveness. And I know he forgave me. And I know that he loved me. But, and, I, and I knew I was free because I felt free. I was better. Everything was okay. And, 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 and it was just wonderful for about six months. And then I got to an even lower point in my life. And in that lower point, all of a sudden, I went into the cycle again. I made the same bad decision. And I made the same bad decision again that I could beat this. I could hide it. I could win this. I didn't need somebody to help me. And this time it was three months. And then it was a month that would pass. And then it was a week until it became a daily vice in my life that I could not get free of. And it finally went from moving into the world of pornography and the crazier more evil parts of the pornographic world to finally stepping and acting outside of my marriage and seeking out real encounters with real people. And I'm ashamed of that today. I hate what I did and who I was. I can tell you that I would look in the mirror pretty much every day in my life and I would look at myself with hatred and tell myself how much I hated the man that I saw. I hated what it was doing to my family. I hated the distance that I was creating in my marriage, that my wife began to feel unattractive, uncared for, unloved, betrayed, and she didn't know why. She couldn't figure it out. 
She thought it was her fault. And finally, by the grace of God, I came to the end of myself. I went to my best friend, and his, his name was Ron, and I just knew how angry he'd be with me when I told him he was a trustee and member on my board, and, and uh, I just showed up at his office. He lived about an hour away in Tyler, Texas, and I just walked into his office and began sobbing and just began to tell him what I'd done. He began crying with me. Actually, even before he knew what I was going to say, he just began to weep with me. He knew something was really, really bad. And as I shared my story, he would just listen, and he just hugged me, and all he could say was, Blaine, we're going to make it. We're going to find a way through this. We're going to make it. And he took me the next day, and we went to my home, and I, my wife answered the door, and as she saw Ron and I standing there, she was just, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, Blaine, I didn't know you were home yet from traveling. And Ron, it's so good to see you. And we're just somber and we walk in and she knew something was wrong. And I told my wife about my life of 25 years of hiding and all of this painful, painful information for her. The anger and the hurt and the pain that I saw in her eyes, I'll never forget. Her emotion, her her numbness, the absolute brokenness that came over her soul, I will never, ever forget. And then I had to meet with my three boys. As I told my oldest son what had happened, he was so angry at me that he stood up in front of our whole family and just screamed out the worst possible word you could probably think of in the English language three times and just stormed out of the house. He was just angry at his dad. My youngest son just walked over to me and he just looked at me and he said, Dad, get better. And he walked away. And my middle son halfway through this disclosure just ran over to me and just started weeping and just wrapped his arms around me and said, Dad, I'll never stop loving you. You are going to make it. We never know how we're going to hurt our family, our kids, our loved ones when we begin to embrace some kind of brokenness in our life. It may not be pornography. It may be something else. But we never really realize the pain we're going to cause until we actually get there. It was unbelievable. And this decision that I made 25 years ago to hit that red button cost me my marriage, cost me relationship with my children for a number of years. They didn't want hardly anything to do with me. Cost me relationship with friends and colleagues. It... I'm sure uh, caused many people to question even the faith that I'd preached and the gospel that I'd preached for so many years. And yet I believe this, that on some level, 
Jesus came for people like me and you. He came for the liars and the deceivers and the hiders and the people that didn't know what to do when they got into a really, really dark place and really didn't know what the next step was. And some of you are in that place right now. You're moving along in your life and everything seems to be good, but you know on the inside you're fighting depression and suicidal thoughts and you're fighting pain in your life and you're fighting an addiction to a pill that just will not quit or you're fighting a bitterness that is so strong you want literally to take people out of your life that are in your world right now and you know what I'm talking about. And God has this beautiful thing that he calls resurrection. And I know we just celebrated Easter, but I want you to know something. Resurrection is more than an event. It is our evangel. It is our good news. That Jesus has this beautiful way of finding dead people and dead stuff and dead things and raising it to new life. And so I want to share, in closing, seven dirty little secrets of resurrection. And you're going to love these. Here's the first one. Resurrections are always too late, right? When has a resurrection ever been on time? You know, the story of Lazarus, I know you all know it, where the, uh, you know, Mary and Martha called out for Jesus because her brother was dying. Lazarus was about to die and got word to Jesus, said, Jesus, come on, hurry, he's going to die. We know you can heal him if you'll just get here in time. And Jesus kind of tarried and got caught up in ministry and things were going on and he finally got there four days later and Lazarus is dead. He's been dead four days. But it's okay because resurrections are always too late. We can't look back and say, if only this would have come 10 years ago. If only God would have showed up 20 years ago. If only I would have got my act together back then. Well, how much better would it be? Listen, it doesn't matter. That what matters is that we open up our lives to Jesus now. That it's never too late to invite him into the death and the pain in our lives and say, Jesus, bring resurrection. It's never too late for God to come into your world He's just waiting for an invitation. And the great thing is that this resurrection power as a believer in Jesus, as somebody who invites Christ in, the, the Scripture says in Romans 8, 11, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body, which is in Christ Jesus. That's good news. Because you know what? When Jesus was rising from the dead, I have this feeling. Now, I don't have Scripture in verse, but I kind of have have this feeling that Satan had every single demon in hell assigned to that grave. And their assignment was, do not let him be alive again. Do not let him come up from that grave. But somehow he broke through every power of hell and rose again. And that power lives in us, it lives in you, and we can rise again. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too strong. For Jesus. The second thing is resurrections always stink before they start. Jesus loves stinky lives. If you got a bit of stink, he loves showing up because he can remove the stink. 
You see, when Jesus came, they said that, that Martha said, listen, you know, we, we, we don't stay away from the tomb. Jesus said, no, roll away the stone. He said, no, 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 we can't roll away the stone. It is bad. It is ugly. It smelleth, you know. And, and they said, no. Jesus said, no, roll it away. He's not afraid of our smell. He's not afraid of our stink. He's not afraid of how bad we've decomposed our lives, our marriages, our messes, our career, our relationships, our bodies. He's not afraid of your mess tonight. He wants to jump into your mess. He wants to call forth life out of your mess. I'll never forget, I was driving from Kansas City to Tulsa, and I'm just going along kind of praying and by praying, I mean not doing anything, just kind of listening, not saying anything, but just kind of like, God, are you there? That kind of prayer, ever prayed like that where you really don't do anything but listen? And, and I just felt the Spirit of God speak into my heart and say, Blaine, I'm going to teach you how to live out and how to practice resurrection. You're a raised man. You're not the same man you used to be. You're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. You're not going back to your stink. And I don't care about your mess. I care about the man that I am raising up. Let God into your mess. Oh, let me tell you, God's grace is unimaginable for you. His love is unimaginable for you. Oh, if we could just, you know, grace is the only thing that the other religions of the world don't understand. It doesn't make sense because in every other religion, you have to check boxes before their God will love you. In our religion, in our faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't say check all the boxes and come to me. He says come to me and guess what? I've already checked all your boxes. I've already made you righteous. I've already loved you. I've already graced you. And out of my love, you're going to want to serve me. Not have to, not I better, but you're going to want to because of my love that transforms your life. Grace is amazing. I don't know if you've ever been stopped by a traffic cop. Any, any traffic cops in here? Any police officers, law enforcement in here? Don't be ashamed. We love you. We're, we're, we're okay with you. All right. Every church has a few, and, and they're wonderful people. Uh, I have a beautiful relationship with several officers uh, in my community, um, and uh, because I just seem to, they like to stop and have conversations with me about my speed. And so uh, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been so blessed by many of them. Some of them, uh, they've blessed me by giving me justice. And justice is good sometimes. You know, when we, when we have justice and we get a ticket because we're speeding, uh, it's kind of like alerting. It's kind of sobering. It's like, man, 150 bucks. I, you know, I need to clean that up. And, and so justice sometimes comes, and sometimes it's very necessary for a little bit of justice to come into our world. But then every now and then, you know, there'll be this officer that is just amazing, and he comes up and he says, hey, man, I know you're going a little bit fast, and I don't know what the deal was, but listen, you know, you seem like a good guy, and I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to let you off today. I'm just going to give you a warning. And you know, when that happens, it's like, oh, thank you. You're the best. And that, what is that? That's mercy. It's just absolute mercy. You didn't deserve it, but he gave you uh, this, this mercy. But let me tell you about grace. Grace would be, and I've never experienced grace from a traffic cop, but grace would be stops you. He doesn't give you a ticket. He lets you off, and then he gives you a million dollars for all future tickets because he knows you're a mess. 
That would be grace. That's the grace of Jesus. And you know, I got to tell you, if a cop ever did that for me, if you ever give me a million dollars, I would be so blessed. And I would feel so indebted for the love that he'd showed me that I would not only not speed again, I would go at least a mile an hour under the speed limit the rest of my life just to say thank you, just out of gratitude. That is grace. Jesus has forgiven us and loved us when we were at our worst. The fourth thing is dead people don't do recovery. You know, when I was going through, I went through a month of rehab. I went through another two years of three to four men's groups a week. I, a counselor every week. I spent probably $100,000 in, in my rehab and, and walking through all of, all of my counseling. And uh, along the way, the Lord said, do not talk in terms of recovery anymore because you are not recovering, you are rising. Recovery is looking back and trying to get something that maybe was in your past. And I can tell you there's really not a whole lot that we want in our past. There's not really a lot to recover. What God wants us to do is to reimagine a life that we've never lived before, to reimagine and to redream and to allow him to show us that maybe there's a life that, that we haven't discovered yet that is worth living and worth pursuing and not going after the recovery of something, but going after something greater and something better. And I remember walking into my men's groups every week and, and uh, the, the routine and any kind of 12-step program, some of you may know this and do know this, but you walk in and you sit down and you go around the room and you introduce yourself and you tell a little bit of your story, but you always start with, I'm Blaine and I'm a sex addict, or I'm Blaine and I'm an alcoholic, or whatever your story is. And the Spirit of God prompted me one day and said, do not say that tonight because you are not that man. That is not who you are. That's not who I've created you to be. And do not declare that over your life anymore. And so I walked in and I said, I'm Blaine Bartell, and I used to have a severe problem with sexual addiction, with pornography, with acting outside of my marriage, but Jesus has come into my life, and I'm redeemed, and I've been born again, and I'm a new creature, and he is helping me to conquer this completely in my life. And every eye looked over at me like, you have just broken the cardinal rule of recovery, you know, and, and I had, and I felt bad. You know, because I knew I'd let them all down. But at the same time, there was something inside of me that just said, yes. Yes, that's who I am. No, I'm not going back to that world anymore. No, I'm not that man anymore. Jesus has called me his son. I love when the father took the prodigal back. He said, listen, I've got a robe. I've got, uh, you know, a party. I've got a ring. I've got sandals. Come on, let's celebrate. You're my son. I know you want to just be the slave, but you're not the slave. You are my son. He restores us to a new life and a new imagination, and we're not ever going to go back. And then number five, and this is so true because some of you have experienced this. There are always snipers at a resurrection parade. Let me tell you, when you start pursuing Jesus, when you start allowing him to heal you of your brokenness and your pain and free you from your past and you begin to move forward, guess what? As you're parading the gospel, there will be snipers. And some of them will actually be people. 
I mean, you'll be amazed. There's some people that don't like to see other people recover and resurrect. There's some people don't like to see you do well. They'll try to tear you down or, or just find a reason why you still can't, you know, do anything or why you still can't uh, allow God to be real in your life. But then they'll be your own snipers, and they're the worst because they're the snipers of your soul that will come in and try to bring shame and try to bring continued guilt and try to uh, maybe bring loneliness or, or some kind of pain in your life or past trauma that's, that's uh, you know, been a part of your, your life. And, and listen, when those snipers come and try to stop you and snuff you out, you must stand and run to Jesus. You know, they did it with Lazarus. Lazarus rose from the dead. Do you know a chapter later that it says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees plotted to kill him? Are you kidding me? Really? You're going to try to kill the guy that just had a resurrection party? Like the guy died once? Is is that not enough? You're going to kill him again? Really? They were trying to kill him. We've got to kill that guy. Well, he he died once, you know. I know, but we're going to kill him. But, you know, Jesus could probably raise him up again. Well, we're going to kill him. And, And, of course, they didn't succeed. But there were snipers, and there'll be snipers looking for you, trying to take you out. But get your eyes off the snipers and keep walking with Jesus because Jesus has got your back and Jesus is walking with you. And if God is for you, no one can be against you. And his love will go to the deepest depths of hell with you. His love will go to the the highest heights that you go to. No matter where you are, God's love is going to be there for you. And then resurrected people take long walks in cemeteries. Yeah, they do. You know why? It's not that they miss death. It's not that they want to revisit their death. They just simply have a heart for others that have died. They just have this passion for people that have been where they were. They want to help. Where they've been comforted and where they've received new life, they want to give new life. And they begin practicing resurrection. You see, resurrected people, they kind of got this sniff and they can smell death. And they just find it and they try to bring life where there's been death. You know, I can look into the eyes of, of men and most of the time I can sniff it out. I can see it in their eyes. I can feel it in their conversation, in their tone, in their soul. There's something that Jesus wants to do and bring life into that soul. Let God give you a compassion. You know, I, I just believe the church, we ought to be the most compassionate agent in the world for those that are broken in our world. You know, I remember I used to preach that we as the church, we ought to be like Disney World. <laughs> we ought to be the happiest place on earth. People come in, everything should be bouncing, the music should be cheery, and everything should be clean, and everything should be spotless and wonderful. And I, I, I like all that. Like, I, I like clean, and I like good music. And I'm, I'm all about environment. I, I like good environment. That's, I'm all about that. But you know what I'm not about? I'm not about masks. And I kind of think 
the church ought to be a little bit like underground Disney. Did you know there's an underground Disney? Do you know when you're walking around Disney World, there's a whole mess of tunnels and places and meeting rooms and all these things, and that's where all the characters and all the employees work. That's where everyone goes down there, and Mickey Mouse takes off his hat, and he's sweating, and Goofy takes off his hat, he's like, man, that's tough, and that kid was driving me nuts, you know, and, and they're, just, they're just talking, and they're sharing their stories, and, you know, maybe one of them got injured, or has got sunstroke, and they're helping each other, and they're getting a bite to eat, and they're just engaging, and that's the church, where we're this hospital and we can be real and we can take off our mask and we can admit our pain and help uh, to invite people that we can trust into our life to find freedom and to find hope and to find deliverance. God so wants an invitation into your life. And then the last thing is that resurrections cost more than funerals. Now, I've done a few funerals in my life, and I've experienced losing people that were very close to me, and it's, uh, it's painful, and, and there's a cost to it. But I can tell you that there is a greater cost to resurrection. After Lazarus rose from the dead, within a week or two, he threw a party for Jesus. It was a resurrection party. The scripture tells us that he gathered his friends and his family from all over, brought them into his house, and threw this great big feast and party. And as this party was thrown, people came from all over to celebrate that Lazarus was alive. I mean, come on. (laughs) You know, you've had birthday parties, right? People come. I promise you that if you had a resurrection party a lot of people would come. I mean, if you died and they'd kind of done the funeral and you were buried and you were gone for four days and then you rose again and you said, come have a, let's have a party. I want to tell you what happened. There'd be a lot of people show up. And there was a crowd that day. They were celebrating Jesus. Lazarus, I'm sure, gathered the crowd and said, I just want to thank my friend because scholars and history tells us that they probably grew up together and probably were friends from youth. And so I'm sure he gave a, a speech and thanked Jesus and bragged on Jesus and was just so grateful that he had life again. But then Mary came, and I'm sure this had been planned and talked about with Lazarus, but she brought this nard, this perfume, The estimates on the price of this perfume by scholars, researchers, historians put the amount of perfume and the price of this perfume in our economy at $50,000. And she took this entire bottle and poured it over the feet of Jesus. And they worshipped him. They gave all. There was nothing too expensive for Lazarus. Nothing he wouldn't give Jesus. His life had been saved, and everything he had belonged to Christ. And this man, when Jesus would rise from the dead and go to be with his father, this man, Lazarus, would become a pastor. He would serve Jesus and proclaim 
the news of Christ the rest of his life until his dying day. And I don't know about you, but I could, I could sit under a pastor Lazarus. I, I, I kind of like to have a pastor like that. You know, that you, when you walk in and you, you go into counseling and said, Lazarus, man, I've kind of had a bad day today. It's really been rough. And I could just see him looking across the desk and say, you think you've had a bad day? You ever died? You ever died for four days? He gave all because he received all. And if you're broken on some level in your life, if there's pain or hurt or loss in your life, or if you just feel on some level tonight you're far from Christ, I just want you to know that you can surrender tonight. You can just say, Jesus, I pour out my life to you right now. I give you all. Come and forgive me. Come and restore me. Come and redeem me. Resurrect this broken, dead life into something amazing. And he will. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here right now and you say, Blaine, I just know that I need to surrender my entire life to Jesus. There's things in my life I I just need to give him, and I don't know how I'll possibly overcome. I don't know how I'll possibly win the battle, but I'm willing to let Jesus get in the middle of my story tonight, and I'm willing to say yes if he'll do the rest. If that's you, would you do something for me all over this auditorium? Would you raise your hand and just slip your hand up and say yes to Jesus right now? Just say, yes, I'm making a full-on surrender and commitment to Jesus right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Help me, guys, usher. Seven. Anyone else? See a few more hands. Another one there. Eight. Who else? Just slip your hand up. You say, man, I want to surrender There's another one. All I have to Jesus. Every part of my life to Jesus. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm inviting him in to my world, to my hurt. Thank you, sir. Thank you. God bless you. God bless every one of you. We're going to do something. I want our folks to come that have Bibles. And if you raised your hand, we have somebody that's going to put a Bible in your hand. We want to just help you in your walk with God. And so just keep your hand up for just a second, would you? If you raised your hand once, if you raised your hand just a minute ago, just keep your hand up for one second. We're going to have a couple folks that are going to just find you and put something in your hand. Thank you for doing that. Now there's one last point, and I'll close with this. I kind of passed it, but I passed it for a reason. And that is this, that when you rise from the dead, the grave clothes must come off. And I saved this for the end because this is why this is so important. When Lazarus rose from the dead, Jesus said to all of his friends and family, he says, take off his grave clothes. Remove all the rags from the bottom of his feet right up to the ones that were wrapped around his face. And can I tell you something? We can't do resurrections alone. We need the body of Christ. We need one another. There are people that are going to see things and help you with things that 
that you really don't know what to do with. I found out that the only way for me to find freedom, and I can tell you by the grace of God today, I have walked completely free from pornography or any kind of sexual vice for five years without one relapse. And I can tell you today the, the weight of that temptation feels like a piece of paper. It just isn't even a temptation. I mean, it is. It's kind of like this. Someone asked me the other day, what, what is that temptation like for you? Well, back in the day, it was like a bullhorn screaming into both ears. The morning I woke up to the time I went to bed, it was just nonstop. But in finding freedom through the things that I've talked to you about tonight, today it's like a faint whisper outside a door, not even in the auditorium. It's something that I can hear, and, and, and it's certainly not something that, that, I, that I don't ever experience, but it is that faint in my life today. And that is grace, and that is the power of God. That isn't human will. That isn't any testament to me or how much I've done. It's all the absolute power of Jesus working in a life. And I just want you to know, you can walk in that kind of freedom, but it's going to take each other. I need men of God in my life. I need my church. I need my family. I need my wife. We need each other. And that's why what we're doing tonight and what we do when we gather on weekends is so important. We need the body of Christ because they are the ones that will help to unwrap the messes in our life, and find the beauty. Can somebody say amen? Such good news. I'm going to ask you to pray for us. We are preparing to uh, launch a brand new resource, and uh, we're about literally 30 days um, from having this resource, but it's called Chopping Wood, and this is a a mock uh, of it. But we will have a book. It's called this title of our message tonight, The Seven Dirty Little Secrets of Resurrection, and this book is written to men. It is going to be a book that I believe is going to change the lives as men hear the story and then begin to apply these principles of resurrection in their life. And then we have a video and a audio coaching program. The video is designed for men and helping them to walk in purity and in sexual integrity. And so we walk through with every man, no matter what they're going through, how they can walk purely in their, in their mind and in their heart with God. And then there's an audio coaching program that my wife Lori and I are doing as well called Retrusting That Guy and How to Restore Trust and Hope and Love After Betrayal and what the steps are in doing that. So... We are in the last steps of uh, raising all the funds to put this together. We ask you to pray for us. We believe it will be out probably in June or July. And if you're interested in knowing more, you can go to our website. It's at choppingwood.org. We also have an email sign up. Every Monday morning, I write an email to men, and I just share my story. I share truth. I share things that I believe will help men to be strong, to be strong men in their marriages, to be strong men for their children. And so we'd love to invite you into that and uh, help you as well. Love you all so much. So good to be with you tonight. Love what God is doing in this community. And I'll tell you what I love the most. I love uh, the fact that about there are about eight people that raised their hands tonight and made a commitment to Jesus to surrender all. Can we give them one more big hand and thank them? God bless you guys. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.